So our passage this morning was John chapter 8, verses 30 uh, through 36. And I'll, I'll read those again, and then I'd like to just uh, maybe interact with you a little bit and think about that passage some more, maybe some of your reactions having read it and heard it this morning. Let me read the text. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Um, any reactions to today's message? Um, having heard the, the message, anything jump out at you while during the sermon or as you were going over the text? Yes, George. The, the uh, definite article in front of truth is not a truth, mm. some truth, somebody's truth. It's the, the truth. Good twice, point. Twice. The truth. That's a very important con uh, point to, to recognize, yes. In other words, he's, he's, uh, he's um, emphasizing that there is only one truth. Good. Other reactions in, in just looking at the passage this morning. Yes. Well, you know, when they said we've never been enslaved, you know, I'm no little scholar. But I can think of you know, at least a couple of occasions, but maybe they were speaking only, well, because they were under Roman oppression at that moment. But to say, I was thinking maybe they were only talking about themselves personally. But. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. What it's kind of like what many a, a parent has thought or said. What are you thinking? <laughs> did you did you just say that we've never been bo in bondage, or is are, are they thinking some kind of spiritual or heart bondage? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're meaning, but it certainly doesn't fit the reality. Uh, that bondage, bondage has been a major part of their experience. One thing I thought about mentioning today was um, slavery is more common than we often think. I saw an interesting presentation on, on kind of in a discussion, um, and um, the reality is much of humanity has been under slavery, or your ancestors were slaves. For example, during the period of Roman history, Roman rule, especially within the city of Rome, virtually the great, great majority of people in the city of Rome were slaves. Uh, the vast percentage, there's a large number of slaves all throughout the empire. Uh, so under, under Rome, there was a tremendous amount of slavery. Uh, the Greeks and all the others that we could trace through. But Rome, for example, it was pointed out, you know, I have often commented Roman construction uh, kind of puts to shame modern roads. You can go to Europe and, and see roads that you can even still drive on. And you can go to places in East Texas and see roads that were brand new two years ago, and there's these pots and potholes and everything else. Um, but who did all that work? 
slaves. So slavery is a common part. But here's an interesting thing I haven't heard. If we were to Iceland, okay? Iceland is uh, Danish territory. And it was, uh, what, they did an interesting DNA study. And 50% of the DNA of Iceland is Irish. And you ask the question, why? Because the Vikings on the way to Iceland captured Irish slaves to take with them. And so again, it just kind of shows you when we, when we think of slavery often, we kind of think of it just in terms of uh, early American history and don't realize that first of all, it's it was <clears throat> common for millennia. Secondly, um, it, it, it's, we, I think we can't forget that it's, it's ongoing today. And, and that's, a, that's a whole other story. And we often can think of it as something in the past. Uh, the, the tragedy of slavery is ongoing. But, but all that to say, so when he says, they say, we've never been slaves, uh, you know, you just think, what are you thinking? <laughs> How can you say that? And, and he takes it to the heart slavery. But, but good point. Uh, a good point. I think as you pointed out this morning, I mean, they're kind of missing the whole issue. I mean, they latch on to Abraham and they think, well, uh, we don't do that today, but you go ask somebody if they know Christ and they talk about the church they went to or their uncle that was a pastor. Or, you know, I mean, we're still giving a lot of the same answers today, I'm afraid, and, and, um, that are getting to the heart of the matter. Isn't that true? A lot of times when you ask somebody about their do they know Christ as Savior, they kind of do a, uh, you know, a quick and you know curve around and they start talking about what church they went to or how they were raised or whatever it might be. Or maybe how much they give to some charity without directly addressing the most important issue, a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. And so, um, and that's where he drives them. It's their relationship to him. Um, other questions or thoughts from this passage? Yes, that, and if you track through, you know, if you do a quick search, say in the Gospel of John in particular, that phrase, when he talks about the Jews, you'll see it seems like it's always there talking about the leadership. And, um, and I think that's significant because he singles out the Jews in talking to a, well, we would call it a Jew, Jewish audience, but he focuses on the Jews within the Jewish audience, the leadership. <coughs> and, um, and these are the ones who especially would be in the temple if he's still in the court of the treasury, which we talked about in the court of the women, and that's just, you know, steps away from where the Sanhedrin meets and where the rabbis would have been. So, yes, uh, that's kind of significant to keep in mind. It was very significant because even though I spent some time in this passage before you preached it, I, I totally, even though it says they answered him, and it was clear that they were not believing Jews, I'm thinking in my head that these are two different groups, the ones who believed in him and then the, the Jewish leaders. So I kind of totally missed that whole first thing on 
30 through 32 that he was these were people who believed that he had some truth but didn't believe in him as savior and lord yeah so it's so easy to sometimes it's challenging as going through these texts just kind of and that's why I'll try and help you with that, but kind of you need a scorecard. Who's talking now? Who are these people? I'll go ahead and tell you um, what I didn't mention in the message this morning. I, I try to keep my confusion factor as low as possible. But one of the things that comes up is differing theories of the various commentaries. Verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those who believed him, some want to argue, some try to ask are those two different groups that are believing the believers maybe were genuine believers in verse 30 now there's believers who are not really believers and I won't get into this there's even a grammatical distinction that, but I don't think it's reliable so I, I as I preached it today I think it's the same group uh, there's there, and that's a, an interesting factor to remember too you can believe in Jesus and not believe in Jesus yeah, there's a, uh, we kind of touched it on briefly today in Sunday school, but there's a, in one of the Bill Tygen videos that's out there floating around, and he said, came across, you know, scripture tends to say they believed in their heart. Well, we don't think about believing in our heart, we think about believing in our head, right? I mean, when we read it's this mental ascent kind of thing, and, you know, he, so he spent a fair amount of time, I guess, in his life studying how to, why? You know, and it's, it's a common phrase that appears over and over again, and he, and I came to the conclusion that I mean, in order to get to the, where you believe in your heart, you kind of have to come through the belief in your head. But if you don't get to the believe in your heart, it's, and I think that's where these people at the beginning are. They're in this outer circle where you know, they're believing in their head that it hasn't penetrated their heart yet. And I think that kind of fits with what this passage is talking about. That's a very good distinction. Yes, you believe. And, and, and distinct and maybe emphasizing belief in the heart. When we think of belief, don't we often leave it here? Do you believe that's true, or do you not believe that's true? Do you do you believe that politician that just uh, said that, or do you believe that news story? Can you? It's 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 you know like do you believe that's true? But the biblical word for believe is so rich. Uh, for example, it can have the idea of to trust. And, and sometimes, often in the New Testament, there's the expression, you could literally translate it, believe into, which I think is distinct to the New Testament. It was classical Greek, I don't think, has that phrase. And so it's emphasizing you're putting your trust in. And when you say that about it's in our head, when, when some scripture speaks of believe in the heart, I've mentioned to you before, uh, Holy Hubert, the street preacher in Berkeley, you know, he would he would say, you know, you can you can miss heaven by 18 inches. You can have it up here, but not here. But heart uh, speaks of um, you know that aspect of a commitment. That speaks of the will, and so that's where some we have. I think the best way to re realize it is that the New Testament has several synonyms or facets of the one idea of believing. But one one part of it is to understand the facts. There's the, the aspect of repentance, uh, of trust, of submission, that's all kind of wrapped into that one word, um, believe. And, and that, that, that's, sometimes we, we, we lose that with that word believe. Yeah, what he, he represented is kind of like these concentric circles. I mean, the head part's out here in 
I don't know if you can get to the middle part without going through the head, but what, believing in the heart that it was just because you made it through the first circle doesn't mean you're made it through the second. I think it was the reformers that, that developed the idea of kind of three aspects of belief. Uh, notitia means to just be aware of the facts and, and, and recognize, uh, uh, to, to just know the facts. You can't believe something you don't know. Then assentia was, or census is to agree with the fact, the truth of those facts. And the third part is fiducia, like as in you know, sola fide. And you think of a fiduciary institution. You entrust your money to them. And so that's when we're trusting Christ, we have to know who he is, believe that's true. He's God in the flesh, died for sin, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. That's, I agree with that. You can go that far and still not have put your trust in him and trusted your life to him. Or as he talks about it, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, etc. So that, those are some hard things to communicate in one sense. That's why you might know sometimes I, I kind of use different words. I, I like to use the word trust. It seems a little clearer. Or entrust yourself or embrace Christ. Yeah. So John, we've, I said it when we started John. In some ways, uh, John is like a shallow <coughs> wading pool that a baby can sit safely in. And then John is so deep that an elephant could drown. You know, he's a simple language, and that's why Greek students start in the Gospel of John. Simple Greek terminology and grammar. But the, the truths that he's communicating with those simple words is, um, it, it takes the rest of our life to dig into it. Any other questions or comments? Or Thoroughly and irrevocably convinced. Thoroughly. Thoroughly and irrevocably convinced. That would work. Though that still could be just convinced of the truth of it. Um, and so, so that's why I said, I've said before, it's sometimes we're trying to confirm if someone's a believer. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I do believe those facts. And I think what I've shared with you, when I, when the light was switched on for me, when I finally got it, that's one of the things I was going through. I was realizing, yes, I agree with that fact. I agree with that fact. I, but something isn't there yet. And then I turned the page of the track. We each must personally respond by faith. That's it. I haven't personally trusted him. So I, I come from, I don't know if there's a God, to believing the facts of the gospel. And then I trusted in Christ. So it's it's good. Do you understand these facts and who Jesus is? Do you know who he is? So we agree who you're trusting. You know, like you say, I, I, I trusted this guy with my wallet. Okay. What did he look like? I don't remember. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's describe it. So we can agree. You know, this is who what he looked at. This is who he is. Uh, but, it, but that's different than the trust factor. Uh, I think in the middle of verse 31 there, he clears up a lot of things when he says, if you abide in my word. And my version, or actually this ESV version that I'm looking at on my device here, says, oh no, 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 it's this one. In ASB, in ASB says, if you continue 
in my word. And then further down when it says, I believe you, that version you read in 35 said, the slave does not abide in the house forever. And they changed the word in this version to say remain or continue. Uh, yeah, so, so they're trying to, I think, help us understand because the word abide, when's the last time you use that in your regular conversation, <laughs> yeah. you know? You know, you meet someone, tell me, what's the address where you abide? <laughs> you know, it, you know so, so that that's the problem. We use that word. It's, it's a good word. But for us, what does it mean? And so to remain. What's interesting, okay, so this is the Greek word meno. And it, but it, sometimes it's helpful to look and see, how is it used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament? In the, in, when you when the, the Jews translated the Old Testament into Greek, they used this word uh, to translate words for stand, like to take a stand. Um, and, and so there's that idea of you know conviction and here I stand, I'll do no other. And so it's taking a stand, an immovable stand in Christ. You know, so so again, um, when in translation, there's never a, a, an easy direct equivalent. And so you you kind of look at a. Uh, uh, the flavors around it, and so to remain is the idea um, to abide. But you know, again, that would be used of living in a home. But the idea is a continuate, continuing relationship with. And notice, it's a continuing. You must abide. What does he say? With my word, in my word. The centrality of the scripture uh, to the Christian faith. If, you know, in other words, this is God's word. And if, if, we're, if we're not in God's word, are we truly his disciple? Because he talks about, if you abide in my word, you're my disciple. And so, and so again, that has the idea of submitting to it, believing it, trusting it. Um, and so that's a challenge for us. Do we abide in God's word? Following and obeying. Yeah. yeah. So so notice, this, this is the idea also a perseverance. A true believer remains in Christ. Remember, he, these people, it says, believe, but they're going to walk away from him, many of them. Uh, remember in, in chapter 6, many of his disciples walked away from him. And so he turns to the 12 and says, what about you? Um, or are you going to leave also? And they said, and, and, and I like Peter's response, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. You know, it's not like, oh, Lord, we, you know, we love you. No, you're our only chance. You're all there is. You're the truth. But, but that's the idea of true faith is a remaining or continuing, a persevering, abiding faith. That's, that's one test of its genuineness so these who, who believed and then walked away that was not a, a saving faith they were persuaded for a time so it isn't that easy these simple little words and yet so there's a lot in them comes to mind what does that freedom he's talking about what does what bondage and freedom look like you know 
What does it mean that we're free in Christ? We're free from the penalty of our sins. Amen. Yeah. Nailed to the cross. Good. What else? If you were free, you were no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. Yes. We really are a slave, though. Now we're bond slaves of Christ. Our slavery has moved, right? So we're free. We're free from the sin that um, controlled us, and and now we're bought um, by a very high price through Christ. And now we're just bond servants slash slaves, right? Same word or not? Same word. Same word. It's the word doulos. I talked about that new translation, the legacy translation, legacy standard Bible. And one of the distinctions is they took that word doulos and no longer used the word bondservant, it means slave. So that's an interesting thing. How can you be both a slave to Christ and free? Do you have a thought on that or could I have some other comment? I do have a thought. Okay, good. Um, and I'm going to share it. Thank you. Um, I think when you're enslaved to sin, the road leads you down a path of um, discouragement, depression. A lot of times, you know, the saying, sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you on it. And, you know, at some point, you find that you leave your ladder up against the wrong wall. And the difference, I'm trying to distinguish between being a slave to sin and a slave to Christ, whereas when you're a slave to Christ, you're a force for good, you are, um, you're doing good, you have a life of satisfaction, versus, um, you know, just go along. Even, you know, Mark and I are pretty reasonable people, I think. Um, but can we have a vote on that? No. <laughs> when, You know, frankly, this discussion is making me think, and I think maybe it's one of the things, we, maybe we all ought to walk away and think about this. Sorry. We're not slaves, but we're slaves. <laughs> and, and, and one of the things as you're talking and describing that, the slave to sin is the Egyptian taskmasters. Brutal. Um, they're not at all interested. They're going to just, uh, they would just wear you out to your death and then take on someone else to, you know, it, it was... Mm-hmm. 
it was it was a destructive uh, slavery or a slavery to Christ and so the picture there to me I was, I was thinking of a parasite that just sucks you dry that's what sin does where Christ is um, forgive the I'll have to, uh, this isn't great but it's on the fly it's the best I can do more like the ever ready, ever ready energizer bunny <laughs> gives energy gives life empowers so the freedom is one is asking what you cannot give and taking it from you and the other is giving what you cannot do and enabling but I, I, I think I want to meditate more on this yes Dennis um, but probably just rephrasing what you said in a different way good I need it but, <laughs> no, it'll be simple um, but when you're in true slavery you are at the mercy of the person that has enslaved you um, and it's it's not pleasant it's not freedom at all um, as a when I think of slave to Christ it's more of a servant to Christ and you're there because of what he's done in you you're there willingly and you want to please him and you want to do whatever he's given you to do uh, most of the time and um, you know it's, it's a sometimes you have to kind of work through things obviously and figure out what it is that, that you should be doing um, but still it's a whole different environment you're not being um, whipped kept, kept from, yeah whipped kept from doing what you want to do or um, having boundaries that keep you I can't think of where I want to use oppressed. Oppressed. I kept thinking depressed. <laughs> and you might be depressed too. Yes. But um, yeah, so it's not oppression. And, oh. and you gain that freedom within those bounds that Christ has set because you know in your heart that doing right is far better than doing wrong. I need to go to that. Was there a picture in scripture that you get to the slave that can go free, but if he wants to stay in the house, mm -hmm. Put his ear against the, the doorpost and punch a hole in it with an awl, and he says, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to serve. And, and, and I think the word love is used in there. You know, he, he, he loves his master. He wants to, he doesn't want to be free. So, in one sense, what I'm hearing is the slavery of sin is oppressive and really against your will, as opposed to the slavery to Christ, where he enables our will. He gives us that new will when we want to please him. And so I'm reminded of that old uh, expression that uh, Dr. Dibler would quote, um, the, law, uh, the, the law demands but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better way the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. So the slavery of sin demands what we cannot give and crushes us in the process. And, and a picture of that, a picture of that is we often think of drug addicts and this kind of stuff, and they're they're slaves to that drug. Well, every one of us starts like a slave to sin. It, it's 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 it dwells within us, and it's and it's a killing taskmaster. But when we're enslaved to Christ, we're one. We're liberated from the penalty of sin. We're we're liberated from the bondage to sin, and we're liberated in our will to to do what we want to do and that's to please Christ. 
I heard one person ask as someone say and say, "Well, so you telling me, uh, um, you know, as a Christian, you can do anything you want to do?" And the guy said, "Yes, but since I've come to trust Christ, what I want to do has changed, and so I get to do what I want to do, and that's please Him." Yes, David. Just uh, for slaves to Satan, he is, his joy is our destruction. And yet, uh, for slaves to Christ, his joy is doing for our good and for his glory. So he's, it's a loving thing versus wanting to destroy us. And it's the song. So, so Satan's joy is our destruction, God's joy is our. Um, is his glory. And so the song we sang earlier, to the praise and glory of his glorious grace, he wants to enable us to glorify God. Satan wants to destroy us because we bear the image of God. And so in his hatred against God, he wants to do everything he can to destroy us. Where Christ wants to work through us to make us more and more like God's Son. I think you were going to say something. <laughs> I, I read this um, just this morning. Somebody tried to help me to remember where it is, but I kind of look at um, the bondage of slavery and sin, which is what I was in, to now, because of everything Christ has done for me, I am a slave to righteousness. A slave to righteousness. So that's what's changed. So mm. something has to change. So that's what's changed. Speaks of that a lot in Romans six. There, that's kind of where I'm going. Where's that? Where's is that? Where's that six, phrase? Anywhere, uh, six eighteen, actually sixteen through twenty, but six eighteen says, "And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I see. So where sin is, you're a slave to wickedness. Now your joy is righteousness. It's it's you know if you've Talk to some World War II vets. Sometimes they want to tell you, I served under generals. Like if someone ever served under Patton, they'd tell you. Or especially, I was with him at this battle. You know, uh, that's their joy. That something, you know, he may not have, never have known they were there. <laughs> but but their joy was, I was with him. I was with Patton. And so our joy is, well, Christ. Uh, yeah. You hit the nail right on the head there because there's two two lines of thinking. There's the horizontal thinking of the world and seeking for all the joys and happiness of this world is fleeting. Or you can do the vertical thinking and hang on to the Lord because that's you know where your eternal presence is going to be. And once you're in Christ, your heaven actually starts here and now, even though we're not there. This is the beginning. And I, I remember Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who uh, believes in me, though he may die, it shall be lived. But he who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he goes on to say, do you believe this? So he's asking you to believe this. So this is the difference between the horizontal and the vertical. We're slaves more of the vertical thought than we are in the horizontal world. Now, the horizontal world is just a temporary thing. You know, it's just not going to be here forever. We realize that more. But we're people that do not have Christ in their life. They're constantly seeking for another joy in this horizontal plane of the world. Good points. Good points. 
Your thoughts? That passage in Romans is about when it talks about you know, the, sin, the bondage we're in before where leads to death, you know, but I mean, that the servant, being servants of righteousness leads into holiness. So it's a good change. I think uh, we're close to stopping. When I think of that, I think of uh, Abraham Lincoln. After the war, some former slaves came to him, and and they they started falling on their knees before him. And he was, first of all, embarrassed, horrified. No, 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 please, no, no. But but in other words, what they were doing was they were expressing, "You liberated us," and 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 he wanted to say. Uh, I'm just a man, you know. Um, but he, you know, he understood. Uh, I think he was he was overwhelmed by the depths of their gratitude, and yet they would probably say, "We can't adequately express what you did for us." And so they weren't worshiping him, but they were expressing, "You bought us. We were in bondage, and you freed us." I think that's probably a good place to stop. Thank you. I'm glad you're thinking, and you've made me do some thinking. I'm going to have to. I, I think there's some rich uh, meditation ground in that that uh, freed from slavery, so we can be slaves. Oh, I think that that's a meditation thing. That's a that's a nugget we need to study and see the facets of it. Good. Well, we're going to continue uh, next uh, next week in in John, starting at verse uh, 37. We're going to go to verse 47, and then there'll be one more week in John chapter 8. But again, I just have to say, if you've been with us, people will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. And if you and, and it would be interesting just to say, if you would just read John chapter 8 with an open mind, I think you'll come to a different conviction. So he didn't say that those three words, I am God. But like as we'll see in two weeks, before Abraham was, I am. Well, I don't want to steal my thunder, but that's two weeks away. But, but the point is, the clarity of this, I am the truth. I am the light. Um, yeah. Now one time I was talking to somebody about that once, and I pointed out, what were the Jewish leaders' reaction when he said that? And that's what makes it, to me, that's what makes it so clear. They knew exactly what he was saying at that time. So, yes, he did. Claimed it was blasphemy worthy of instant death. Yep.